So we are reading from Genesis 22. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed." because you have obeyed my voice. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your heart today. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would invite us and help us to accept your invitation today. Lord, we commit this service to you. Would you hide me behind the cross so that we can see Jesus, hear Jesus, and respond to Jesus? God, we love you today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is our last week in the series called Becoming a Friend of God. Early on in the series, we learned some things that it turns out God has lots of children, but few friends. God holds up Abraham in both the Old and the New Testament as This is my friend. This is what friendship with God looks like. And he is given that designation from God himself. So my dad died young. He was 61 years old. And I was definitely a companion of my dad. We played music together. We had a family band. We played cards together, we played golf together. I was a companion of my dad. But one of my regrets is I never became his friend. There's something about being a kid and growing up and even a young adult where it's all about you. It's all about your stuff, your thing, your schedule, your whatever. And, and even though we were together, the friendship can't be forced. And 
And sometimes people will give you just a little invitation to know more about them and more about what's in their heart and more about what they're thinking about and what they're afraid of. And, and, and if, you, if you miss those, it's just part of friendship. You, don't, you can't make somebody be your friend. And so I have got all of eternity to become my dad's friend, not just his son. But my mom lived much older. She lived well into her 80s. And mom and I became really good friends. In the, the, at least the last decade, I paid her bills every week. And I would go over and we would talk together and she would tell me what was really going on. And I became her spiritual confidant and I got to pray for her and she would always let me speak into her life. And it was such a, such a privilege to be not just her child, but to be her friend. So this is the invitation of heaven. Let me read it to you. This is John 15. Greater love has no one than, to lay, than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. God is calling people, and the word for friend here is intimate friend. There's another word used in the New Testament, translated friend, that only means companion. And this is, this is God's invitation that uh, uh, this is what true friendship looks like. You lay your life down for someone else. That's true friendship. And I'm inviting you to love each other in this way. And if you do it in this way, you will be one of my friends. It's an invitation to become a friend of God. So, so here's, here's what we must do to answer this call. First, we must recognize that God is our best friend. This is where it all starts. God is the friend of sinners. God is the best friend of sinners. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how you've wandered, God is your best friend. And so what we have in Genesis 22 is we have the Trinity's part in our redemption. Abram has his name changed to Abraham for this purpose. Abraham means father. He becomes father because he, he's a foreshadowing of what the, our father in heaven is going to do. This is how Genesis 22 starts. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. First time the word love is used in the Bible and sacrifice him on the mountain. And this is, this is what the father has to do, is going to have to do to secure our redemption. Abraham's response would easily be, this is the worst possible thing that you could ask me to do, God. Let me sacrifice myself, but don't, don't, don't make me sacrifice my son. Don't, don't take Isaac, who, who's in his prime, who's, who's, the promises of God are all wrapped in, anything but this. But this, this is what the father had to do. And then Isaac, of course, the only beloved, it says it three times, the only 
beloved son, your only son. Isaac has the wood laid on his back for the sacrifice and he's carrying up carrying it up the mountain. Why is Isaac carrying the wood? Abraham's really old and Isaac's really strong. He's, he's in his teenagers. He's very strong. He's carrying the wood up that cross, up that mountain. And then he is, he trusts the father as the father lays him on this this altar and ties him up. He allows this to happen. Guys, if this is a fight, Isaac can easily overtake Abraham. He is trusting his father. He doesn't really fully grasp all that is going on, but this is what's going on. The father is putting his son on the altar. And then it's not just Isaac that foreshadows Jesus and what Jesus is going to do, but it's, it's Isaac and this ram in the thicket together because Jesus is not just the son of God. He is also the lamb of God. He is the one that will be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. And so you have this foreshadowing in both the son and the the male lamb that that are sacrificed. This is the price that God is going to pay for our salvation. Here is the golden text of the Bible. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. That's the golden text. But the golden text of the Bible has to become personal. Here's Galatians 2:20. Paul says, "The life I live in this body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That which Jesus did for everyone has to become personal. You have to own it as your own. Last night, I had the privilege of being with our family camp out at Expeditions Unlimited. There's, there's about 70 campers out there and 40 of the 70 are kids. And so you can imagine this. We're around the campfire and I get to give the message. And um, uh, at the end, I got to talk to the, the young people. And I'm like, guys, it's not enough that your mom and dad believe this. It's not enough that you go to church. It has to become personal. Jesus knocks on one heart at a time, and you have to own it yourself. And I told my whole testimony and how I grew up in church, I was very religious, but I didn't own it for myself. It didn't become personal until my freshman year of college. And last night at family camp, 10 kids gave their hearts to Christ. It's just amazing. So here's what the Bible says in Proverbs. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a a brother. There is one who knows you the best and has loved you the most. There's only one that has died for you. He gave his life for you. He has proven himself to be your best friend. If you get him, It doesn't matter what happens with any other relationship. You will make it, not just for life, but for all eternity. But you have to make it 
personal. So right before I came in this morning, somebody gave me this word. And he said, I don't, I don't really know how the prophetic works on Sunday morning, but this is, this is what I have. And so I'm going to just read this to you. The Father's voice calls you home and binds your fears and gives you hope. With his arms stretched wide, he'll pull you close and hold you tight when you need him the most. And you might feel like you've, you're far from grace, but you're never too far gone. And you might feel like you've lost the race, but you're ne- you, you've never run alone. And to the prodigal son, the runaway, the child of God who's gone astray, oh, there's one thing I have to say, the father wants you to come home. All you misfit toys, you renegades, you worn down child who feels ashamed. Oh, there's one thing I have to say. The father wants you to come home. If your soul is empty, he'll fill your cup and be your strength when you're giving up. You've been running far too long. You're weary now. So come on home. To become a friend of God starts with not something you do for God, but recognizing what he's done for you and recognizing how he feels about you. He is your best friend. Point two, to become a friend of God, we must share God's heart. It's so easy for our lives to be about us. My needs, my healing, my provision. God, I need wisdom. God, this relationship is falling apart. God, we need you, we need you, we need you, we need you. Help me, 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 help me. And you know what? Those are all great prayers. God really does care. God really does want to hear about every little thing. God wants to help you with the smallest, the idea that God's only into the big things. No, God's an intimate God. He will help you with everything. He wants to hear from you. But to become a friend of God, it can't just be about you. To become a friend, you gotta say, okay, enough about me. How are you doing today? What, what are you thinking about today? What's on your, what kept you up last night? How many know that God's up every night? <laughs> he hasn't had a wink of sleep for all eternity. What does he think about at night while we're sleeping? Let me tell you. Here it is, Matthew chapter 9, 36 through 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this is... A a, a Jewish crowd, Jesus came to Israel and his ministry was to the Jews. But right from the beginning, it was always about the whole world. The first promise to Abraham is, in your seed, singular, every family on earth is going to be blessed. Every family was always in God's heart. When when Abraham uh, is stopped from sacrificing Isaac, the angel says, in your seed, singular, all the nations are going to be offered this salvation. you're You're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky that God has got 
all of the nations in his heart. When Jesus gets done with his ministry, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now go and and preach the gospel to every single human being and make disciples of them. This includes everybody. I love everybody. I love every tribe, every nation, every place. I Uh, The whole harvest is in my heart. Now, go. This is what is in his heart. He thinks about people. The Bible says, if hell and death are before the eyes of the Lord, how much more the hearts of man. God sees every heart. And it's interesting, isn't it, how he sees people? He sees these multitudes and he feels compassion because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Even though they're biting each other and they're mean to each other and, and they're, 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 they're just messed up and they're blind to each other and they're selfish, Jesus says, here's what they need. They need, they need me. They need a shepherd. They're, they're blind, they're, they're harassed, they're helpless. He also sees the devil and everything the devil's doing and everything the devil's stirring up and he sees how they got hurt by their parents and their parents got hurt by their parents and, and there's all this pain and they're harassed and helpless and what they need is me. They need the good shepherd to come. There's no one that can't be changed by the good shepherd, but he said, you gotta pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll raise up workers. And then he gave the problem. The problem is this. The harvest is great, but there are very few workers. I've got lots of children, lots of people that that I love, that are saved, that are gonna go to heaven, but very few of those children are actually workers in my harvest. I've got very few workers. Pray that God will raise up workers. Why are there so few workers? Well, because there's so few friends. <laughs> we're, we're busy with our own stuff. We're doing our own stuff. And we, did, we tried to harvest. We tried to help God with the harvest. It turns out people don't want to be saved. <laughs> turns out it's, re- it's really hard. People, they don't even like Jesus. They don't like church. They're, they've got their own thing. They're not my whatever. And it's really hard. And some of them, you know, they just live in countries. It's really hard to get to them. They're like Muslims or Buddhists. And, and it's really hard. And, and so, yeah, we tried that. That didn't work. So it's going to be just us four and no more. And we're, we're, we're just going to love Jesus ourselves, and we're going to take God's blessings, and we're just going to have our, our nice, comfortable life. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, but you're going to miss, you're, gonna, you're not going to be God's friend. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He's saying, if you want to be my friend, if you want to know what I'm concerned about, this is what I'm concerned about. My heart is for every human being. I paid a price for every single human being. Will you join me? So I love the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah starts out, God speaks to Jonah. Jonah is a guy who is a prophet of God, but not a friend of God. And God speaks to Jonah and says, go to to Nineveh. Nineveh is the arch enemy. It's the capital of Assyria, the arch enemy of Israel. Go to Nineveh and tell them that in 40 days, they are going to be destroyed because of their sin. 
And Jonah doesn't go. Jonah goes the opposite direction. And we don't find out until chapter 4 why Jonah disobeys and goes the other direction. In chapter 4, we find out that when Jonah heard God say, go and tell them I'm going to destroy them in 40 days, what God was really saying was, I want to give them a chance to repent so that I can show mercy on them. And Jonah didn't want them to get mercy. Jonah wanted them destroyed. And so he's not going to give the message that God gave. And so, of course, he gets swallowed by the fish, he gets thrown up, and he gets a second chance, and he goes in his state and preaches to Nineveh, and uh, the Holy Spirit just falls on this city and grants repentance, and it's just an amazing citywide revival, and Nineveh is saved, and, 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 but the book ends with, with Jonah up on the hill that overlooks the city, still hoping that somehow God will destroy the city. And while he's waiting to see if maybe it will still be destroyed, a plant grows up over Jonah's head that gives him shade. And the Bible says that Jonah was extremely happy about this plant. I call Jonah the first American. He loves... He loves his comforts. He's so happy that I'm so comfortable. I love this plant. It's so wonderful. And then the next verse, and you can check this. Check me on this if you want to. It's in Jonah chapter 4. The next verse, it says that God appointed a worm to kill the plant. <laughs> so this appointed worm kills the plant <laughs> And now, and now Jonah is beside himself with anger. I mean, he is so angry. He's like, my life is over. Uh, just take me home. I'm done. And so God comes and has a little talk with Jonah. He says, he says, Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about this plant dying? And Jonah says, oh, you bet I do, to the point of death. And God says this, and this is how the book of Jonah ends. This is why I just, I just love this. The book of Jonah ends with this. God says, Jonah, if you have so much compassion for this plant that you had no responsibility in planting, how much more should I have compassion for 144,000 souls that don't know their right hand from their left hand? That's, that's how it ends. It's, it's an invitation to friendship. It's an invitation to think above my own comfort, my own little life, my own what I want, what I want to God, to what's, what's, what, what God's thinking about. So I have to tell this story on myself. Some of you have heard this before, but it bears repeating. So it's the early 2000s. I'm in a church in Montevideo, Minnesota, and we, we had established this mission to Honduras, and it was mainly through this one guy that was a construction guy, and he had gone back and forth several times. Well, one time he came back and he showed us this video of these kids in La Ceiba, Honduras, that were, they, were, they were picking through the dump, the city dump, to get food to eat. They were so hungry. And so we scheduled a trip. We... we, we we, we got the vice president of Honduras to, to donate land to build this feeding center right where the dump was. 
and that we had this organization that was donating this very special rice that had all the nutrients. You just add water to it, and, and they were going to supply this not just for a while, but for forever, as long as there was a feeding center. We got churches to work together to, to run the feeding center. And so we go over there, and we build this feeding center. It's just a, an amazing event. The, we shake hands with the vice president, and Honduran TV shows us. And I mean, it's just a, it's just a win for the kingdom of God. Just a great trip, great event, amazing. So we get back and uh, there's, I get the news from my beloved wife, there's something wrong with our van. And so take the van into the shop and uh, turned out that this van was missing a hubcap. Three of the hubcaps are fine, fourth one just was gone, and it, it kind of irritated me to have one that was gone, and so, so I, t- I take it in, and, and, I, and I tell them, you know, call me, I, I want to know how much it's going to be to fix it, and what would it cost for me to get a new hubcap, get that fourth hubcap, and, and so, so they call, and, and they give me the bad news, this is, for whatever reason, it was a special van with big tires, and and it was going to be $80 for a new hubcap. So I'm like, no, we, we, can, we can go with three hubcaps. Fix the van, that's fine. So, you know, day or two later, he calls back, the van is ready. Hey, and by the way, craziest thing. So that's a very rare hubcap. But we had somebody come in that had a spare hubcap, that hubcap. So we just put it on your van, no cost. And I'm just like... Are you kidding me? I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just filled with joy as I go. I'm like, God, you are so intimate. Who, I mean, what, big deal, a hubcap, but it meant something to me. And you found a hubcap and just the right hubcap. And just, God, I love you. You're so amazing. And so we get there. I pay the bill. I go out. I'm like, hey, where's that hubcap? And he comes out and looks at it. He says, oh, you know what? He said, we just test drove it. So we, we just, out on this road, just pass the golf course and back, and you'll find the hubcap. We must have not put it all the way on and just popped off, but we, we've got that hubcap. And so I'm like, I'm, going, I'm finding that hubcap. <laughs> so so I, I, I go out, and I'm, I'm going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I cannot find that hubcap. And I, I am so worked up that I have to pull into the golf course, and I now have tears in my eyes. And here's what I say, I'm just, I'm just telling you. Devil, get your hands off my hubcap. <laughs> and I get done with that. And the Lord speaks to me. He just speaks two words to me. Here's the words. You're Jonah. And with that came two realizations. That even though I was teared up over this lost hubcap, I had never shed any tears over those poor kids in Honduras. I I went there and I sacrificed and I put together teams, but I never cried about those kids in Honduras. That was one realization. Here's the second one. We had this huge celebration with the vice president, the TV, it was just a great win, but I was more happy about that hubcap than I was about any of that. I mean, as far as experiencing actual joy, it was about that hubcap. 
And so what do you do when God tells you something like that? It's really hard to disagree. So it's like, no, I'm not. I, I care. I, it, you just got, all you could say is, okay, okay. It, it's disappointing. Proverbs 26 says this, many a man will proclaim his loyal friendship, but a faithful man who can find i.e., just because you think you are something, just because you sing about something, does not mean you're necessarily what you say. It's very, whatever God says we are, that's what we are, not anything else. Doesn't matter how much we sing about it or say about God, I give you everything, I give you everything. God's like, no, you know, God's like, stop it, I know. I know what's going on. And so all I could say, and really all we can say God, I own it. I'm Jonah right now. Please, God, don't let me end my life like Jonah. I don't want to just be your pastor. I, I want to be your friend. I actually want to care. I don't, we've got such a short life here. I don't want to die mainly as an American, more American than Christian. I don't want to die with the American dream, but miss God's dream. God, and so I prayed a prayer. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, save me from myself. (laughs) God, here's who I need to be saved from. Not the devil. I need to be saved from me. Save me from me. So that's point two. We're almost done. To become a friend of God, we must recognize that God is our best friend. Two, we must be, we must share God's heart. And then finally, we must be willing to sacrifice I just think it's interesting that Abraham is the only one that's asked to make this big sacrifice. Lot isn't asked to make a sacrifice. No one else around the story. But God will ask his friends to make sacrifices for his sake. Here's what Jesus said. This is Mark 8.34. He said, if anybody wants to be my disciple... They need to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So I want to talk about this willingness to take up the cross. The cross represents two different things. The first one are things that come into your life that you would never choose for yourself. The things that you try to get rid of because you don't like them, you don't want them, but they won't leave. It's kind of like Paul's thorn. They are there. I don't know why they're there, but they're there. I can't get rid of them. And God wants us to bear that cross for him. Bear that thing that we can't change, we wish we could change, and say, God, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to worship you in this thing that is difficult for me. And here's what I've learned about, about these crosses, that every human being has these. There, you interview anybody you want to, and you're gonna find out there's something in their life that they wish wasn't there. It's either their, their, their family thing and what, what has happened in their, their family dynamics, or it's their financial thing, or it's their health issue, or it's their relational thing, or, or they don't like the way they look, or there's, there's something about your life 
that is wrong and you can't make it right, you can't change it, it's just wrong. That can either take you away from God or can bring you very close to God depending on what you do with it. When you, when you take up the cross, you're saying, God, I don't know why this is here, but I am willing to worship you in it. I'm willing to embrace this that makes me feel weak, that makes me, and, I, and I'm gonna embrace your grace in this. Here's what I've learned about it. And I think it's easier to understand with gifts. Everybody, everybody in the world has been given gifts, and we are stewards as to how we use our gifts. And people have been given different types of gifts and different amounts of gifts, and God doesn't want us comparing to each other, but we, we all have gifts, and, and we're called to be faithful in them and to use them, and we can encourage other people to use their gift because uh, you can't use their gift for them. They, they have to use their gift. They have to recognize it and use it, and so you can help other people with their gift and, and to get the body of Christ functioning. That's, that's how it works with gifts. Well, it's the same way with crosses. Everybody has been given a cross, but they're all different. Some people have been given really, really hard crosses. Some people, they are bearing such a heavy cross themselves. You can't bear it for them, but have you noticed that you can come alongside and lighten it for them? You can help other people. I think right now about the people of Ukraine. Do you realize that they're, that could be you and me? Think about it. They're, they're Christian, or some of them are. They're, they love Jesus. They go to church. They're working their jobs. They're, they're loving God, and now their country has been invaded, and the, their houses are, have been destroyed, and they're, they're scattered all over. We're going to talk in, in point two about what some of our missionaries are doing that are, that are from there, but here they are. They've just got this really, really heavy cross. It's not fair. Well, that's how it is with a cross. It's not fair. We can't bear their cross for them, but we can come alongside them, can't we? And of course, I know our country is coming alongside the Ukraine, but also our church. We've done a lot for the Ukraine. We're going to do more in the future. We've got missionaries from there. I'll tell you about them in a second, but, but this, this is how crosses are. And this is why what you don't want to do is judge somebody else's cross, Oftentimes, the church actually makes people's crosses even heavier by their judgment. People are going through a hard time. And then Job's friends come alongside and tell him, it's all your fault that you're doing this. And he's like, thank you guys. You guys are great comforters. You just, you took something really difficult and impossible and made it worse. I don't know how you did it, but you made it worse. And sometimes that's, we're, we're, thank God we're not the judge. You're not the judge of anybody. We, we're God's helpers. We come alongside. We don't know what's going on in people's lives and in their hearts and what God's actually doing, but we can come alongside and love people and listen to people. And it's amazing, isn't it? Just being able to tell what's going on to somebody actually lightens the load of what you're going through. It's not that hard to lighten somebody else's cross. So that's one type of cross where something is in your life that you wish wasn't there and you bear it for Jesus' sake and offer it up to worship to God and say, God, your grace is sufficient. And even if this never leaves until heaven, thank God, it'll all leave by heaven. But, but until then, I will, I will trust you in the midst of things that I can't understand. But there is a second aspect to the cross. This is when we are willing to make a sacrifice for the glory of and the purpose 
of God. So you can do this in two ways. One, some people are called to go to difficult places. And they glorify God by answering that call, by making the sacrifice to leave the comfort of America and go to where God told them to go to. We've got uh, missionaries in Cyprus, um, John and Lori Ingalls, and we just had a missions trip, and Joe and a team from church went to Cyprus to be with them, and they came back, and I'm, you, you know, usually you come back from a missions trip, and it's like, oh, it's so wonderful, and God's doing so much, and they came back and said, oh, it's really hard. It's really dry. It's really difficult. But our missionaries there are amazing. They love Jesus, and they're loving these people, and Are the people of Cyprus who aren't responding to God, are they worth us having missionaries there? Oh, absolutely. Is Jesus worthy of their souls? Has he bought their souls? Does he want them in? Absolutely. Is it hard? Yeah. But our people are there on the front lines. Ray and Cindy LeClaire spent decades in the Ukraine working with Christian school and Christian school teachers and really discipling a whole generation of young people and Christian values. And when the war came, they had to come back here. Actually, Cindy was already back here because her mom needs constant care. So Cindy has been back here. But Ray, Ray came back and, and lived in Janesville for a little while, but he, he just couldn't stay. So he went back to Poland. Let me tell you how many refugees are in Poland from the Ukraine. 5,270,000 refugees that are from Ukraine are now living in Poland. So Ray is ministering to them. Ray is also going into the Ukraine for the schools that still do exist and doing programs. He will be here for our, our missions conference. But guys, Ray's presence there, Ray and Cindy's presence there, is City Church's presence there. They are our representatives. God calls people to difficult, hard to reach places. So this is why we have a missions conference. We bring back our missionaries so that you and I can meet them. So that, you, so that missions is not some foreign thing out there, but so that we can hear God's heart in them, and we can hear their heart. And here's the stunning thing about missionaries. Once you, once you had a meal with them, play a game with them, chat with them, you're like, oh my, this could be me. This is not a superhero. These people have children and problems and change diapers, and they, 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 they just happen to be called somewhere really difficult. It could just as easily be me. That's really the point of the missions conference, is that we, we understand that this isn't about levels of Christians. This is about calling. Some people are called to go, and to say yes to that call is to embrace a cross that's, that, that's very heavy. And we, we, we celebrate that, we cheer for that, and we try to lighten the cross that our missionaries are bearing. So some are called to go, and that's how they embrace the cross. Some are called to send, and that's how they embrace the call. Listen to Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So they can't go unless somebody sends them. They can't get work in the Middle East. They can't work. You can't get a green card over there. You have to be supported from somewhere else. You, somebody has to believe not just in missions, but they need to believe in your call to go to missions, and they need to send you. They send you not just with their money, but they send you with their prayer, with their support, so that you've got, so that we can go into the most difficult places on earth with the gospel, because somebody is embracing the cross of sending them. And so what we do with with our missions week, it's the only time Uh, The only time we ask for money is when we ask for our missionaries. And we ask for special gifts and we ask for these faith pledge cards every year. It's the second Sunday. We will will, uh, commit those faith pledge cards and I'll talk about those more in a second. But First, let me tell you about last year. You guys were so faithful to God last year. We, we were raising this money during the missions conference and my whole, the whole point of it, our, our big goal is not to get that much money. The big goal is to please God. The, the, the big goal is that each one, that without any manipulation, without any guilt, without any you know, offerings, to, to just be able to say, God, what do you want me to do? Here's, here's the phrase I have. God is calling us to embrace his heart so we can do our part. We all are called to embrace his heart for the whole world. And it's only when you've embraced his heart that you're able to do your part without it being compulsion or guilt or anything else. You, you actually want <laughs> To sacrifice. You want to do something because, because you want to be God's friend. And God's asking his friends to, to do their part. And so we all, we all put our offerings in and we do our, do our faith pledge cards and we put them all in. And then what, what I do is a couple weeks afterwards, I'll, I'll tell you the result. I'll tell you, here was our goal financially and here's what actually came in. And last year, I kept delaying when we would tell the final number because we were so far short of it. Everybody was giving and I was excited about everybody that was pledging and everything, but we were still $40,000 short and, and it was Saturday and I couldn't delay it anymore. So the, so the next day, the next Sunday, I'm going to have to... Tell the congregation that we're celebrating being $40,000 short of our goal. And it's just, it, I'm trying to figure out in my quiet time, it's, it's the Saturday before the Sunday, I've got to do this. How am I going to say this in a way that it sounds like we, we're celebrating? Because I, I really wanted to celebrate everybody that did give, everybody that was part of this, and, and, and I didn't want anyone to feel bad. I didn't want anyone to feel guilty. We just came up short. We'll find the rest of the money somewhere. Don't worry, but I, we were going to come up short. And so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to say this, God, in a way that this is going to sound like a victory. And I go up to get my second cup of coffee, and I hear a beep, and it's my cell phone. Somebody had texted me. I look at the text. It's a wealthy guy in our congregation, and he said, my wife and I were praying this morning, and this is the gift we would like to give 
to missions. And it's not just going to meet that need. It's going to take us way over. I immediately called him and said, bro, just so you know, you turned yesterday, tomorrow, from being a very awkward day for me to being a day where we will all celebrate God's faithfulness. And honestly, it's not the size of the gift. What they can do and what somebody else can do, it's, God doesn't look at the size of the gift. God looks at the heart and the willingness to join him in what he is doing. So this year's financial goal, it's, it's right around a quarter million dollars. Um, next Monday, not this Monday, but next Monday, I will send a letter out to all of our members. If you remember here, you're going to get that letter and you're going to get the faith pledge card in the letter. And I just want to say a word about those faith pledges because some are in a position they can just give the gift outright. Just write a check. Here's my gift to missions for this year. And that's, that's great. But most of us aren't like that. Most of us, we do want to give. We just can't give it all at once. And, and so the faith pledge, it's not a vow. It's just saying, as God enables me, this is what I'm planning to give over the next year. And what it does for our missionaries, our missionaries are all on a budget. They've got enough going on in their lives without having to worry about whether the money is going to come in. And it's very helpful for them, for us to be able to say, with some backing, the money will be there. Here is, here is what has been raised and pledged for the coming year. Don't worry about your support. It will be there. And so that is one more thing that kind of lightens the burden of missionaries. So that goes out on Monday. Then for our missions conference, we will have pledge cards, whether you are a member here or not. We will have stacks of pledge cards on the giving tables so that that second Sunday of the missions conference, what we do is we all take that pledge card in our hands and we just pray and just say, God, help me to embrace your heart and help me to do my part. And we just encourage people just whatever God speaks to you to, to, to put that in, fold it up, put it in the giving boxes or hand it in at the info center. But, and it's an amazing thing because none of us probably are in a place where we could write a check out for the whole thing. But it's amazing when we each participate, when we each do our little part and you count up all those little parts. It's amazing how God meets the bigger need and we get to send our missionaries out with confidence. So I'm just, I'm really, could we stand together? I'm just really encouraging you to come out to the missions conference this year, to not be afraid of God calling you. Hey, if God calls you, we're going to help send you. We're, we're, we're here. We're, 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 some of us are called to send. Some of us are called to go. But we're gonna, we want to embrace the cross. We want to be the friends of God. And we want to help bring in the harvest in these last days.